Um, I am Adrian and I was born in West London, North West London. Um, and I grew up in West London. Um, my family are Jamaican. Uh, and I identify as Jamaican more than British um, in terms of my identity uh, for various reasons. But yeah, I, I grew up in West London, lived in South London, so I prefer South London. And that that's kind of like not a good thing to say apparently, but I don't care. Um, but yeah, that, that's my kind of through line through the world, I guess. Thank you, Adrian. So how did growing up in West London and your heritage influence your aspiration to be a creative? So my parents are both in the caring profession, um, but my dad is a, well, he was a pastor, like elder. Um, and so like he was always on the pulpit preaching um, and so I've got storytelling through my veins in that sense. My mum is also a great storyteller, not by profession, but just naturally she does it. And I think a lot of Jamaicans have that energy of like, let me tell you about this time that da 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 da, -da happened. And they, they tell it with this grandiose, like setting the scene and you would never believe that da da da, -da happened. And the, the, the humor of it is so embedded in the way I grew up. I also grew up with a lot of um, what we call duppy stories. So ghost stories. Um, that were never told to me as if they were fake. They also told, they always told us like, this definitely happened. And so I grew up with like very much a view that the world was very um, magical, I say, but I don't know if that's the right word. I think it's a very, um, the veil's thin <laughs> of what's possible. Um, and I think my parents both being in the caring profession now, um, it gave me an insight into the stories of people with different needs um, and what they had to deal with on their night shifts um, and the way they had to step up into like caring in a different way and not judging. Um, they'd work with people with eating disorders, with um, different kinds of mental um, health issues. Um, so I feel like that really helped me to see a bit of the character that I could be taking on myself. So I think a collection of all those things, the spirituality, um, watching my parents in their caring profession, my mum being a great cook and my house always being filled with people and stories always being told, like just naturally. I've just got a text just now, my cousin wants to organise a memory lane um, event for the family where we're just going to talk about everything that's happened over the last 15 or so years I guess um, yeah but how lovely though right to to have a family that are, that are so expressive and, and centred around reflecting on, on memories and, and things that's that's really special so how did you then kind of fall into like drama and theatre is that something that you took part in when you were younger like growing up or what um I think my first thing that I saw as a kid was Roald Dahl's um the twits okay cool um so that that didn't spark <laughs> my love for theatre but it definitely made me go how did they do that uh, like all um, the all the um, so all the crumbs in the beard right it was the crumbs it was the, the worms <laughs> uh, 
I was like, whoa, they're actually eating worms. Wow, that's weird. Um, so I think the first question of how do they do that, steamrolling into show me how you did that. Um, I want to do that myself became more apparent when I was doing my GCSEs. Um, there was a career day where this girl at the time, Tanisha, um, she was like, oh, I want to apply for Brit school. It's really hard to get into. I want to do theatre there. And because I heard it was hard to get into, I was like, great, I'll, I'll apply for that. Um, because I was going to apply for like UCL and become a lawyer. And yeah, and so I was like, I want to do the hard things. <laughs> That was my mindset at the time. But I think in the process of applying for Brit school as well, I found out more about the fact that I, one, I could be an actor. Um, and two, I might actually be good at it because I was learning these monologues. I, I never, I'd never learned a monologue at that point before. Um, so I had to learn to show my friends and they would help me with it and stuff. And before, I don't think I'd ever considered, oh, you could probably do this as a job. like. You're going to do your A-levels and this is where your career will go. You'll go into the arts. Um, so Brit School gave me a lot. Um, I was really happy when I got in. Three years spent there doing theatre, acting, directing, script writing, and joined a theatre company there as well. Um, and then I went to uni for one year, realised it was a scam, and went to work at Young Vic um, and became a young associate in taking part and got a really good grounding in how to make high quality work for people who aren't performing in the main house, but are still performing in the studios and who are um, our community and people who deserve to have a stake in the building that, they're, that, the, that the building exists in. Yeah. And do you know what? You're not the first person to tell me that. And there's a real pattern emerging right of of contemporary theater makers and creatives and thinkers that the young vic has been it being a springboard for uh which is a really wonderful thing so what made you want to start facilitating like work in a room um i think that was because of so young vic again <laughs> gave me an opportunity like i i kind of started my um job there and they asked me what i wanted to do what i was interested in um, I was very interested in directing um, and like being in a room. And so when I was assisting in rooms, I they would say, oh, you want to lead this game? It was just that, that trust that was given to me. And I was just like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I'll lead this game. Ended up directing the last two rehearsals also of one of the projects with um, some young people from CAMS. So they had mental health, um, mental health issues. Um, and I think the fact that I had to hold that room at 19 years old um, really helped me to go, oh, yeah, it's not a far away thing. It's definitely something you can do. And I think where I've cemented my love for facilitation is just because I wanted to see young people have that light bulb moment, but I didn't want to become a teacher. Um, I wanted to become someone who could put a lot of things into the room in terms of theory and thinkers. I wanted to be in a room where I could mention Audrey Lord and Bell Hooks, um, and Octavia um, Butler, and have young people go, oh, what's that? Who's that? And have it inform the work they create. 
uh, and I think that's that's more my mind when it comes to especially young producers as well um, because I definitely believe like the books you read and the things you consume will definitely inform the way you create work uh, so I think that's what's got me excited about facilitation being able to go into a room and go oh you might not have heard of this but it's going to change your life <laughs> in terms of of way of thinking or a thinker that you just haven't heard of before that's a a really admirable quality to have and and I've got a a lot of respect for you for for sharing that because I think it takes a it takes a very courageous person to ask people to look a little bit further than potentially mm-hmm. what they may what they may understand as their own kind of knowledge and to try and encourage people to look a little bit further or understand a different point of view and especially then when that then feeds back into their creative output like as you've described similar for me like the more I can the more knowledge I can arm myself with the more I can then utilize that to create from or to inspire um, myself and other people with so yeah yeah just a just a I have a lot of respect for you for that. That's that's really admirable. Um, so, what's your what's your kind of process then? I guess like how do you work within a room, or or how do you go about creating work? Mm, I think my the start of a rehearsal room usually looks like me helping people become aware of their own needs and how to advocate for their own needs and also getting brave about asking for support with those needs straight away if we're working for like several weeks together as well. Um, um, So yeah, basically like a mini access rider access statement. Um, And I think that's important to start with just because I went, I started my career with no clue that my brain worked very differently to some other people. Um, And I would struggle with certain things uh, that I later realized were aligned with like neurodivergence. And if I had known, I didn't even need it. I didn't need a diagnosis. I just needed to know that I had a need. Um, if I had known that, oh, I actually need you to repeat your instructions sometimes, and I don't need to feel guilty for asking for that, or I need you to have patience with me when I haven't processed your instruction um, or your question as you would have expected me to, I would have had a lot more compassion for myself, and I would have been able to go, oh, okay, that's just how my brain works. Um, so for me, when I'm starting a rehearsal room, if I can allow people to get rid of the like shame and the guilt that gets in the way of so much creation, um, we have an easier road ahead of us. Um, and I think the next step after that is about asking people to imagine um, and to just become aware of what they already have inside them in terms of tools and skills um, and ideas not just straight into like creating a project straight away, but more about um, how do you think and what do you think about, what do you read? What makes you angry? What makes you, um, what do you care about? 
I ask those questions quite often at start of projects as well, because I feel like getting into the humanity of a person, it, it's just a huge shortcut instead of becoming robots um, and going, this must be created by any means necessary. Slowness and pace and ease is also allowed. Is that, are those needs something then that you share with the rest of the group or is that just something for you the maker or the facilitators to be aware of I guess acknowledge as kind of like tolerances or a, a way of being compassionate and responsive to the people that you're working with or does everybody kind of share them and put them into the middle to then to then acknowledge and and as a base to then create from like is that what you mean that goes right back to community though because it's about the community being able to hold together and for people to not feel pressure so i can't feel the pressure alone to hold all of people someone's needs however of course as a safeguarding thing of like okay this is for me to handle and that's this is and then something else might be for community to handle um so when it comes to triggers and like you need to take a step out of the room, that might be me or someone else who, um, like a pastoral worker in the room. However, when it comes to, oh, sometimes I might have ticks that happen. And if you ignore it, it actually gets worse. So if you just, uh, if you just like lightly joke around sometimes or like bring attention to it, I actually feel better. Like if people have space to be able to say that, then it just makes them being able to exist in that space a lot easier. Um, and those are the things that I'm talking about more in terms of I am this person and these are the ways I exist. Um, and this is what you can do on your side, whether you're neurotypical or whatever, um, to make sure that I can be here as safely as possible. So what programs are you currently working on or projects potentially? What's your role within those programs or projects? And who are some of the participants that take part in these things? Yeah, so I guess at Lyric, I am, this is my main job. Um, I'm here full time and I work on a few projects here. I work on START, which is with 16 to 25 year old um, young people who are not in education, employment or training. Um, and that's six weeks of them creating a piece of work in response to our main house production and then putting that on either in the studio or the main house, which they'll be doing this time. They'll be performing on the set of the Panto. So that's going to be really fun. Um, and for me, my role there is mainly just overseeing and producing that project and making sure that it's smooth running, um, but also pastoral care and making sure that participants uh, are safe and feel heard as well. But we also have a lead pastoral support worker in that room. So it's more about how I can make sure um, those participants feel very held and supported, even just outside. So it's like, who does, who do certain things get passed on to if you can't pass on to that lead pastoral worker? Um, so that's Lyric. Uh, amongst other projects there as well. So I produce a festival here called For The Culture as well. Um, and that's for black people, um, celebrating black people in all its differences. So you're very, very busy is what I'm getting from all of that. And we'll, we'll go through each one because I'd, I'd really love to find out more about everything that you've 
you've just told me about. The the first thing, the first place I want to go though is start. And I'll give you a little bit of context as to why that program particularly intrigues me so much. So as part of my role as community and learning producer at Derby Theatre, I produce the Plus One program, which is for looked after, care experienced young people and their families all across the city. The Start program is so intriguing because I think it really provides a platform for post-16 care leavers or young people, NEAT particularly, to be able to access not only a creative platform or a provision, but also upskill as well and prepare them for independent living and independent life. I want to know all about that. How how do you go about making that work? How do you get the referrals? How do you manage that side of things in relation to living? Please tell me more. So in terms of the team, we recruit a director, an assistant, an assistant director for each um, cohort. Uh, this time will be James Kent. Um, and we have an assistant director from University of Kent who's doing a PhD, um, Natcha. So those two will be working together on the artistic side. We also have a central placement student, luckily working with us this term, who will be like a project assistant, kind of like assistant pastoral worker, um, alongside Charlie Farrant, who is going to be, who has been our lead pastoral and support worker for many, many years, and actually started on start. <laughs> she came to us through that program um, way before me. Um, and is now working in other um, places now in terms of support worker. So that's the core team. And then there's me as producer. Uh, We also have an outreach worker at Lyric who does the recruitment for that project um, and meets them and enrolls them and gets them comfortable with the building and gives them like a bit of an expectation and uh, a bit of an overview of expectations um, of what the project will entail. So in terms of the journey, uh, they also get a bronze arts award. So the whole project is framed around them watching a show, getting the skills, delivering a warm up or exercise to write about that and get feedback on that and write a review of the performance they've seen. So they're stretching their literary skills, their voice, their confidence their self-esteem that's the real core of what that project's meant to do is to improve their sense of self because a lot of them come to us just not confident in their abilities or their their right to exist even um so the project helps them to go you have done something you were uncomfortable with um and you smashed it uh We also have a partnership with um, an organisation called Action West London, who we've got coming in on Fridays, um, because the project's Monday to Thursday. So the Action West London come in on Friday and they work on CV clinic stuff with them, um, help them find jobs by like asking them what they're interested in and going away and finding jobs that match that through partners that they have. Um, Those partners that they have are usually like prep, or like retailers. Um, and I think my main wish for these young people that come to us is that they actually join one of our classes here 
which is like studio sessions, which is for musicians or acting up. That's the, that's the youth theatre. Um, and I hope they join those and then they can do the retail jobs, they can do prep, they can do all that too to get their money up. Um, but the, the pathway and the dream is that they actually get paid work in the industry, which is what's now happening with one of our participants who I'll, I'll call Darren. Um, he joined us having basically no experience of theatre. He watched a show outside of Lyric um, that one of the pastoral workers was in, and now she's his favourite actor. <laughs> um, he wrote about her as his art's inspiration. Um, and he did start, then he joined our other project, Springboard, which is our training programme for actors aged 18 to 25. And that's like a two-year rigorous training program where they're with us kind of part-time. And now he signed from his studio show. Um, had no experience of like the industry at all. His mom has never stepped foot in a theatre, um, but we've also had to add a lot of support and care around him. So it's like, we've had to go, cool, we're adding childcare to like what we, what we offer for you because you need to get to your audition and you need to do your spotlight now so we're going to have to help you buy your provisional um because those are the barriers that really exist when we're trying to get those kind of people in um so yeah that that's the kind of pathway that we have existing and the dream pathway really has happened well firstly congratulations to darren right what a success story and and, yeah. and how great <laughs> Um, of you as a venue and, and a facilitator producer to support even to be so even to be conscientious enough right to to lay your provision with those opportunities for people to succeed in other areas of their life I think is a really commendable thing so um, what a great job you guys are doing T mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more about the festival that you produce yeah sure um for the culture, I joined <laughs> and within three months I had to like put most of it together, including <laughs> including um some of the headliners, um food, um stalls, and in general, just the overall feeling of the festival. Um, there was a point where we wanted to so the curators tasked me with finding a choir for the Sunday of the festival. It was a three-day festival, Friday to Sunday. Um, and we kind of found one and then the choir fell through because of reasons that make me angry and I won't talk about them right now. <laughs> but someone, the person who I was in contact with from the choir was like, let's just make a new choir. Yeah. Um, and so they made a choir uh, and the choir was amazing. And now they have performed at London Fashion Week. Um, they are talking to various amazing people to be on their albums and to be part of their shows. They've just been going with For The Culture brand. Um, they're called For The Culture Collective. So that whole festival was a celebration of Black joy um, and also a commemoration of George Floyd's murder um, in terms of going, this is a thing that happened to, to our community as a whole. Again, going back to like, this hurt is felt across different planes. Um, and so because it's felt 
and it's reverberated across the community, there needs to be community healing by way of music and dancing. And that's not like woo-woo, that's really just science. Like when you dance, when you sing, your, your nervous system actually gets restored in a certain way. When you sing your vagus nerve, I learned this from Instagram. It's, I'm an Instagram kid right now. <laughs> I'm just like going through reels and TikTok as well provides a lot of information. Your vagus nerve gets stimulated and that helps to um, treat depression. It helps to um, lower your blood pressure, lower cortisol. So I'm a big advocate for raving um, and just letting loose because if you need to do all those things in order to process the trauma of the world we live in, then so be it. And that's what that festival was. Um, it was also about highlighting organizations um, that needed to be highlighted in terms of bookstores and um, activist communities who needed to be shown more. Um, yeah. Does that festival happen again? Is it happening again or was it a one-time thing? So it was the first year, it was the inaugural year. And right now we are gearing up for a kind of celebration event in January, at the end of January, uh, which I'm still thinking about what that will be. Um, but not just that. So responding to two performances that will be happening next year, um, one will be surrounding Black men's mental health. The other will be looking at what beauty means um, to Black schoolgirls and also exploring colorism. So I'm currently just thinking about what those things could be. And my way of starting when it comes to producing things is how can I make sure the community and audience feel involved in whatever is set up? Um, so this anniversary event that we're going to be creating Again, it's about the dance, it's about the movement, it's about the enjoyment, um, but it's also about how we can make sure people leave with a new sense of like viewing the world as well. So for me, it's about, oh, what, what posters do we have on a wall? What, what um, stalls might be around so people can go, oh, I didn't know this existed. Um, or I can now engage with this new idea or this, new song that's really lifted my spirits it sounds like you bring life to things that's a really nice thing to say <laughs> yeah it really really does and I like that you really have this committed passion to sharing moments and giving people the opportunity to reflect on life through everything that you've already spoke about, like in terms of how a space feels for people and how it resonates with them. Like it, it's really, really a pleasure to to sit and listen to you talk about those things. I think that comes from like my mind of like, I grew up in church. So my mindset's always like focused on creating sacred space, whatever that means to whoever, um, whoever in the world, because everyone has a sense of creating a space that feels safe and sacred to them. Um, and there are certain parameters for that. So that means whether it's like you're in a church building, a very old high Church of England church where you've got incense burning, whatever, that's their sacredness. For me, sacredness looks like um, maybe a Luther Vandross song playing in the background as you enter into a building because that brings you a sense of nostalgia and familiarity and safety because it's 
he's part of an identity that you recognise. I want to ask in relation to the work that you produce, right? In preparation for this interview, Mm -hmm. you mentioned you were inspired by Adrian Marie Brown, whose thinking encourages disrupting outdated narratives Mm -hmm. in creative ways surrounding Mm -hmm. racism, anti-racism, spirituality, sexuality, gender, and radical self-love. As a producer and an artist addressing such issues Mm -hmm. that can be quite difficult for audiences to also reflect upon for whatever reasons, like for younger listeners or young aspiring facilitators and artists, what what steps or what advice can you give to be confident enough to challenge those things through the work that you make? Um, I get that. Um, I think, so I worked with a cohort of young producers who came to me with this stimulus that was surrounding something called the glitch theory which is basically saying people, like black people, according to the system, should not be thriving. That's that's a glitch. Black people should not exist, it's a glitch. Womanism, feminism, um, queerness should not exist according to the systems and the simulation that we exist in. If we're seeing this all as like a computer game, there's a glitch in the system when certain ways of being um, and certain ways of being can exist. When when that happens, then there's a kind of rocking of like capitalism and the way that we're being told to live. So I think for me, it always starts with looking at what, bringing attention to like the ways we're told we have to live and asking the questions like, why do you think we need to live, live that way? Why do we have to keep listening to that? Um, and coming back to a place of remembering what it's like to breathe and to live easy and like asking ourselves, why, why are we trying to make this job harder for ourselves than it needs to be? So I think a big part of um, Asia Marie Brown's work with emergent strategy is transforming complex systems with like simple solutions. Um, so for me, I don't need to like do a big presentation on capitalism, but I can start a workshop by putting different pieces of paper around the room with questions that interrogate the ways that we live. So you might have a question that says, um, for example, how often do you dedicate an evening just for yourself in the week? Um, which someone might not have thought, oh yeah, that's that's not a big question really, <laughs> but there might be someone who isn't doing that. Um, or how important do you find it to dedicate an evening for yourself in the week? That's the question probably. And depending on the importance you start to go oh but why do I not find that important why do I not value rest as much as I could um so yeah I think good question so like dramaturgical thinking is what I think helps my producing be really um I was gonna say on point I will say on point it helps my producing be on point by like asking the right questions of the world we exist in 
and then coming to like, oh yeah, this is what the audience and enjoyment needs to look like as well. The audience will find their way in because we have taken account of the world they've come out of into the room rather than divorcing the fact that that exists out there and this exists in here. We can create escapism, that's great, but escapism still takes account of what you're escaping from. So I think that that through line is what I try and connect really strongly. And how do you ensure that your work is as diverse as possible from a producing point of view? It, it comes quite naturally to me um, because I'm not interested in um, teams that all have the same thing to say. Um, I think when it comes to all the different identities that exist under the sun, I'm very excited when I know that a team might have neurodivergence or might have another disability um, or we have someone from this part of the world where they've lived here or yeah all those things are exciting to me um so I don't think it's an effort for me to make sure the team is diverse I think it's more um about how I make sure everyone's heard and everyone doesn't feel like their way of seeing things is invalidated because there will be differences and there will be like um conflicts in a healthy way uh but that's meant to happen because that's the way we were meant to live we were meant to live in a world where we could go oh I don't agree with you however I, I'm willing to listen to you I'm more excited about the people who might have a difference of opinion who are also willing to go oh I might be wrong um and that's exciting for me to to hear someone say oh I didn't see it that way I didn't I didn't see it from that angle. So other than your work at Hammersmith, what else are you currently working on, if anything at all? Um, what am I making at the moment? So I just directed a read-through of this script by um, Ryan Walker-Edwards for Displer Festival, who work with neurodivergent creatives. Um, and that was really fun. It's about Black queer uh, dating in the Midlands. Um, so that was interesting and it was a it's a comedy so like yeah it really it was really fun to work on um and then next we've got start coming up on the 31st of October and I'm also working on a project called forward with QPR which is um a football and theater fusion intervention project um with some year nines at Kensington Aldridge Academy so really close to Grenfell so a lot of them would have been impacted by that in some way um yeah so I feel like that's that's a really exciting project happening and that'll be having a show next year March I believe okay well then you need to come back and talk to me about that because that sounds really sick I'm happy to do that that'd be good yeah Thank you. Thank you. And please, please, please do. I'll, I'll be in touch. So I just want to say a massive thank you, Adrian, for your time today. It's really been a pleasure listening to everything that you've had to share. Mm -hmm. Thank um, you. It's been great. Um, uh, no problem. No problem, honestly. Um, and I wish you all the best in 2023. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And I'll be sure to share all of your contact information so that anybody who would like to get in touch with Adrian can do so. Um, and I think that you definitely should.